The NBA season is over. Congratulations, Toronto Raptors, on your championship. And the new season begins on Thursday with the NBA draft. University of Missouri beat writer Alex Schiffer is there in New York to cover the draft for the Kansas City Star, and he speaks with us on Sportsbeat KC, the sports podcast presented by the Kansas City Star. I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. Alex Schiffer, our draft man about town, is with us. And by by that, I mean Alex Schiffer is going to cover his third professional sports draft for the Kansas City Star this week when he goes to Brooklyn in the Barclays Center to cover the NBA draft. Alex was was our man in Nashville at the uh, at the NFL draft. He covered the WNBA draft largely because of uh, the presence of Sophie Sophie Cunningham at Missouri. And now you are in the the great Northeast. Alex, how you doing? And uh, set the scene for us. What do you expect to see at the draft on on Thursday night? I'm good, Blair, and a belated happy Father's Day to you. I meant to text you on Sunday about that. Thank you very much. Fun fact, I also kicked the tires on covering the MLB draft with the Royals, obviously, but with Bobby Witt being in Texas, it didn't really make any sense. Um, I think it'll be an interesting group. You know, uh, as this is my third NBA draft I'm covering. The attendance has always kind of varied a little bit. It, it really hinges on how many local ties there are sometimes. You know, the Knicks are selecting third. They had a good contingent last year with the ninth pick, and, and they really wanted Michael Porter out of Missouri. Uh, obviously, they wound up with Kevin Knox. You know, the Nets really haven't had a first-round pick since owning the Barclays Center because of that trade with the Celtics uh, involving Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. And, uh, you know, there, there should be a good Duke contingent there. There's a strong alumni base here with R.J. Barrett and Zion going in the top three. That should help. And, and there's a couple of guys with some New York ties. Shamari Pond to St. John's, Justin Wright, Foreman, and Hofstra. They're, they're probably second-round picks, but they might show up just because it's it's – close to their home, and maybe, you know, if they think they can go in the second round, they'll go up on stage and, and shake the deputy commissioner's hand and everything. So it should be pretty well attended, I think. Yeah, I, I think in this draft was particularly interesting to me because it was, uh, it was weighted, the lottery was weighted in a different way this year, and you had three teams, the teams with the three worst records, right? The Knicks, the Grizzlies, and who am I? Oh, the Phoenix Suns. Oh, no, it was the Knicks, the Suns, and the Cavaliers with the with the three worst records. So they had the the best chance of landing the overall number one pick, 14% chance. And, of course, the overall number one pick went to none of those school or none of those teams. It went to the New Orleans Pelicans that had the uh, the 6% chance of getting the overall number one pick. So Pelicans are up. Uh, they're on the clock, and we were pretty certain they're going to take Zion Williamson and John Morant, the Murray State guard. Pretty sure he's going to go, too, to the Grizz. And um, R.J. Barrett from Duke to the Knicks at number three. Consensus of opinion seems to be the um, you know uh, the top three: Zion Williamson, John Morant, and R.J. Barrett. Pelicans, Grizzlies, Knicks. Is, is is that how is that how you see it unfolding? Yeah, I don't see anybody passing over Zion, and I think John Morant just makes too much sense for the Grizzlies at number two. I mean, they could they're rebuilding. They already have Jaron Jackson from Michigan State on the wing. And they could trade Mike Conley, their franchise play, for a ton of assets to a contender and really help their rebuild process along. So I see him going number two and then uh, R.J. Barrett, best remaining player. You know, the Knicks need all types of help. So I, I think it gets interesting just with the Pelicans picking again at four because, you know, they've, they've been linked to trading for Bradley Beal, St. Louis native Washington Wizards star. 
There's been a lot of talk that the Wizard uh, that the uh, Pelicans aren't done dealing after the Anthony Davis move, and now they have a ton to play with after that trade too. So I think it gets interesting after that third pick, just because you don't know what the Pelicans are going to do, and then there are you know the Hawks have the eight and ten pick; they could trade that for something. They already tried to get the Knicks to swap picks with them, so. I think it's really interesting after that that top three for sure. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen a lot of different names at that uh, at, at at that spot for for the Pelicans or second pick at number four. I've seen Darius Garland, who, who you've mentioned, uh, Jared Culver, the Texas Tech uh, guard. I've seen DeAndre Hunter from Virginia, um, maybe even Kobe White, the North Carolina freshman. I, I've seen I've just seen a lot of names there. Nobody seems to uh, know exact exactly what might happen but uh what what about the draft in general is this um you know once we get past zion williamson and let's let me let me ask you this are, are you among those who see zion as a a, a you know a, a future nba i don't know all-star hall of famer what what the, you saw him play i i didn't get to see him play in person i don't think you did either this year we but we certainly saw enough of him as a as a freshman at duke and i I'm not sure where I'm at with the projections of Zion. I I just I think he's got a, he's going to have a size issue in the NBA. And what are your thoughts on Zion? Yeah, you know, uh, to kind of segue into a story I plan to do tomorrow. You know, I talked to the AAU coach that coached Ja Morant and Zion Williamson in the ninth, tenth grade together on the phone for something, and he was saying that you know Zion even then when he was six foot three, six foot four, and still a physical guy, he never really took a lot of threes. He you know, he, he had a really good way to put it that he just thinks that he was raised to believe that the closer you are to the basket, the higher percentage of the shot goes in. And, you know, people talk about the physique a lot and how that will work in an NBA uh, season. I, I think it's more just about that he doesn't shoot a lot of threes, and that's really where the game's going. He doesn't really have much of an outside shot. I think he shot around 30%, maybe even a little under that at Duke for his lone season there from three. And uh, I think that that's the bigger thing to address than the physique. You know, these NBA people that I've, I've kind of met some of the combine when it comes to diet and nutrition and moving weight around and all that, you know, they seem to really have that down pat. And I, I think they'll figure out what they want to do with him in that department, you know, pretty quickly. And even he goes into summer league, maybe he struggles with that. They start working on that immediately afterward. So I, I think it's really about, you know, the, the bigger questions about what he can be are, you know, he's more of a, a bruiser. You know, the, there's the Charles Barkley comparison, but, you know, I thought Barkley was a decent three-point shooter too. Right. So yeah. it's more about where, you know, where his game is at and where the game is going that, that are really where my issues are. He could be one of uh, three Duke players taken in the top ten, along with R.J. Barrett and, and Cam Reddish, of course. I'm, I'm really interested in, in Darius Garland, uh, the Vanderbilt uh, did he play? Did he? I can't remember if he was. He played five games. You know, he was a guy I saw a lot of on AAU because he played with Bradley Beal Elite, even though he was from Nashville. And uh, I thought he was a spectacular player. He was on my preseason All SEC ballot. I forget where I had him. I might have picked him for freshman of the year. But um, he played five games before injuring his meniscus. He, you know, I think he's got the Michael Porter issue, even though the meniscus and a back are obviously a lot different, but just. When he's healthy, he's great, but, you know, what kind of team is drafting him? Do they need immediate help there, or, you know, do they want to ease him in? Is he their point guard of the future? Do you have someone to kind of learn behind? But I, I think he's a guy that in a year or two could be a really, really good player just because he can really, when he's healthy, he can really run a team well. Right. 
Okay, so there is a little bit of local interest in in this draft, and it, you know, if if you're to trust the mocks, it's not going to come until later in the evening in the second round. But uh, Jante Porter's name is pretty consistent in in the second round, and uh, I know he's been working, um, living. I don't know how much working out he's been doing, but living with his brother uh, in Denver, and uh, it should be a big night for for him. What what do you? Uh, what do you remember about the decision that he made to go into the draft, and why? Why was it a good one? Uh, could he come back and 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 thrived at Missouri this year? Is is it the smart move to go into the draft? I think there was benefit to him coming back for his sake, but I think for Missouri's sake, it was good for him to declare and and stay in the draft. You know, he he told me that he it was never really a significant conversation about him coming back to school. You know, he thinks he should get paid now and and you know, sooner you're in the league, sooner you can start working on that second contract where the real money comes in. And, you know, for from Missouri's side, you know, it would have been the, the past two seasons, Conzo Martin and his team have had to deal with losing their best player, a Porter brother, to, to injury. And, you know, at least there was no with Jonte, no questions as to whether or not he'd come back and whatnot. But I, I think that for Conzo and the program's sake, it was better to move on. And, you know, they go into next season not having to worry about that. Having that kind of, you know, not, you know, they had the whole thing with Mike and whether or not he was going to play towards the end of last season. Uh, I think Jonte and Mike are very different players, obviously, but, you know, for the people that say, well, Jonte's not the kind of player that will throw the offense out of whack like Mike would, you know, you don't know that. And, you know, it's a Missouri team next year that's going to have a lot of different guys to lean on rather than just one like it would have been had Jonte never gotten hurt. So. I, I think it would, you know, for the program's sake, it's better for Jonathan to just go into the NBA and see what he can do there rather than it being another year where there's a lingering question of when he's coming back and how we can help and how they're going to implement him. You know, I, I think I think, I think Conzo Martin needs to move on from that, from the establishes program. Okay. And, and Jonathan would be, a, he, he's not playing this season, right? I mean, the, the, the second ACL is going to keep him out for, um, if, if, if he gets drafted or whatever team he lands, he, he's not going to be playing in, in nineteen twenty. Is that correct? I, I think so. You know, I talked to him about it at the Combine, and he was very – I thought his answer made a lot of sense of just who knows. The team that could draft me, it's going to be their call ultimately. And, you know, I, he'll get cleared probably with the ACL around next January or so. I, I think it – We you know, we have to wait and see who he ends up with, you know – if he's on a team that is has some depth there and doesn't have to worry about him, maybe they throw him in the G League a little bit just to see what he can do and kick some rust off. Maybe they redshirt him the whole year. I, I think that I wouldn't expect to see him play, but uh, you know it's ultimately going to be the team's call. Okay, and a couple other local names um, that, uh, at least according to what I'm seeing, probably not going to. Uh, names won't be called on Thursday night. One is Dedrick Lawson of Kansas, and uh, and I don't see any of the Kansas State players, Dean Wade or Barry Brown Jr., showing up in the mocks. Um, maybe you know, maybe they're top hundred guys, but you know, in the NBA draft, it's sixty. There are sixty slots, and and I, I just don't I don't see them drafted. I I do believe that Dean Wade will make has a chance to make an NBA team, but. It's, but he, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if we don't see his name called on on Thursday night. Yeah, so I just got done checking a mock draft from Sam Viceni, who's one of the main you know authorities on that. He has Dean Wade as Mister Irrelevant at number sixty, and he has Dedrick Lawson going undrafted, and then Jonte Porter going 49th to the Spurs in the second round, which I think would be a great fit. And 
I, I agree. You know, I, I think I think the first round of the NBA draft is very easy to project most of the time. So you, you rarely see people get even if the teams are wrong, it's the main thirty guys. I think the second round it gets a little interesting. You know, I remember when Phil Pressy went from Missouri, he could have gone in the late second round. His agent said, Don't bother. We want you to pick your own destination, go undrafted, and, and that's how we wound up making the Celtics. I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, what the agent's call is and, and who they're with and, and how many options they could potentially have. You know, I think Jonathan Porter would have a ton of options if he went undrafted, while, you know, maybe Dean Wade would have a little less given he some of the questions around him. So I, I think it's really a crapshoot in the second round, especially, you know, from the, the last 20 picks when the guaranteed contracts are no longer a thing. So I, I've seen Wade on some. I've seen Dedrick Lawson on some. It's, it, you know, I don't think we'll know until Thursday, really, whether or not they're going to go in terms of what their camp's decision is. But, you know, it takes a certain pick, I think. All right, if we don't go by this pick, you're going undrafted. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. Total crapshoot in the second round. And um, uh, I, I, there were – I, th- I think we'll see two Big 12 players go probably in the lottery, and Jared Culver from uh, from Texas Tech and uh, uh, Jackson Hayes, the the Texas freshman, uh, big guy, son of former Chiefs tight end Jonathan Hayes. Uh, but I think that's it for Big 12. And if and if uh, Dedrick Lawson doesn't get drafted, that'll be the first time since 2009, I believe, that no Kansas player was selected in the in the NBA draft. So. Um, I tell you what, Alex, we're going to take a little break here. We're going to come back and talk some Missouri basketball. You had some interesting conversation with with Conzo Martin and projected uh, some some playing time, rotation starters, and we'll be back in a minute and talk about that. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State, and no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com. And it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town. Just eight cents a day or two fifty a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at KansasCity.com/sportspass. Okay, I'm back with Alex Schiffer, the Missouri beat writer for the Kansas City Star. Alex is is in in Brooklyn to cover the NBA draft. Before he left, we took a he took a stab at Missouri basketball prospects for next season. Maybe used the the latest signee as a jumping off point for this the 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 seven footer Axel Okongo. Did I pronounce that right, Alex? Yes. Okay, and uh, and so what you did was you projected uh, rotation starters uh, depth. I thought that was really interesting. Um, what were the biggest challenges in breaking this down? Before I, before you answer that, let's just say your projected starting lineup has Mark Smith at the shooting guard, um, Drew Smith at the point, Torrance Watson at the wing, uh, Trey, Trey Jackson, the freshman at power forward, and uh, Jeremiah Tillman at center. And um, and then I look at who you've got in the mix in some of these. Uh, you guys have got some good minutes this past season coming off the bench. It certainly seems like it's one of the – uh, probably the deepest team that uh, that Conzo Martin would have had in his three years at Missouri. 
Yeah, it, it was a really hard thing to pick just because I just think there's so many different ways that they could go with it. And, and they're good problems to have, obviously. You're talking about a team that in Conzo's first year, you know, by the time they got to the NCAA tournament, they had like eight available guys because of injuries and everything. But I, I just I struggled so much with it because I think they can get so creative in so many different ways. You know, I, I saw Trey Jackson extensively play AAU, and they used him as a ball handler at times. They used him as a... Um, as a two and a three, I think that he could do a lot of different things for them. Kobe Brown is another guy like that. And, and do they have these crazy lineups at all where we see them just go gigantic with these, you know, six, seven, six, eight ball handlers? So, I, I you know, the the Okongo commitment really threw me for a loop because I don't think anyone saw that coming. He didn't really play a lot in junior college. You know, I was looking up some history. Mizzou's got a really mixed history with junior college guys. Uh, you know, Kansas rarely takes a junior college guy. I struggled to see some of their history. It's, you know, Keanu Post was a Juco All-American that didn't really do much for Mizzou. You know, Ricardo Ratliff was one of the best bigs in the country at Mizzou. So there's I think that you can make a lot of cases for the guys I picked for why they should start and why they might come off the bench. And and others, you know, like Jeremiah Timmel was a given. I think Drew Smith has to start based on everything we've heard about him. But after that, it, it really gets interesting. And that's why I think it's, you know... Conzo has a lot of options. It's not a bad thing, but it, it raises a lot of questions as to where he wants to go with this team. Yeah, I think when you when you projected a starting lineup, it was pretty much a, you know, basically every player with, you know, play, it, it's Missouri playing to its strengths at each position. You know, I you kind of took a, you know, the, the guy who seems to fit physically at that position and, and made him a starter. And nothing wrong with that. I, I think that's, you know, you, you could be absolutely right about this, but I do like the idea of you know being able to go small or go big. These are options that Conzo Martin really hasn't had in his first two years to the to the extent he may have it this year. I agree, and you know even just you know with some of that stuff. I mean, do you go with a four guard style? You know, we've heard some rumors that Xavier Pinson starts alongside Drew Smith. I don't see you substituting Mark Smith out of that lineup, given he nearly shot fifty percent from three. So you know how you know. What I think it comes down to for Conzo, you know, what matters more is it length or experience because, you know, that's a starting lineup of Pinson, Drew Smith, Mark Smith, maybe Torrance Watson, and Tillman. That's a four-guard lineup. That's a small lineup. You're sacrificing Jackson's length for Watson's experience. But that's not, you know, that's two primary ball handlers in Pinson and Drew Smith. That that's a very, I think that's a very dangerous lineup if they go that way. And, and then even the original one I had that I – that I think makes a lot of sense of bringing Pinson off the bench for another year and and having Trey Jackson, who they're very high on. He was a top 60 recruit. They think he has pro potential. Uh, you know, they got nothing out of that power forward spot ever since Jonte Porter went down. So I, I think that, again, as you said, these are all good problems, but it, you know, there's, there's so many different arguments for all these guys and why you put one here over there and start him, bench him, the argument there. So it, it's, you know, there's experience that Conzo Martin hasn't had a ton of in, in his first two years. And then there's there's length, which he also hasn't had a ton of. And, and both are good problems and, and both are things he can he can desperately use. Absolutely. Now, you know, every Power Five program is going to think it's an NCAA tournament team in, in June. And I'm sure Missouri feels the same way. So let's look at this a little differently. Um SEC uh, teams play 18 conference basketball games. So 
Uh, I always kind of judge it by that. If you're a 500 team in, in the SEC or a game over 500, you're probably a you're a postseason team, maybe an probably an NCAA tournament team these days, as as good as the SEC has been. So, so let's just um, just at what you know about the roster, what you know about the returning players. What is this? Is this a nine and nine team? Is this a ten and eight, eleven and seven? What uh, or yeah, eleven and seven? What what are we looking at here with this team? I think the expectation should definitely be an NCAA tournament bid. You know, when Conzo took the job and landed the Porters and everything, you know, I think the rebuild kind of got ahead of schedule in a sense of what to, you know, what to expect and, you know, when Missouri should be competing for a postseason bid. And obviously, you know, given everything that's happened, his first year was very impressive given all that. I, I just think that, you know, this is essentially his team now. You know, the, the only remaining Kim Anderson guys, I think, are Reed Nico and Mitchell Smith. And he's completely remade Mitchell Smith from a traditional five into more of a stretch four. So, you know, that one even kind of varies by argument. And I, I just think this is completely his team. I, I think that the non-conference schedule is going to be there for them to maybe even get a little bit away with maybe a 500 record or, you know, 10 and 8. In the SEC, just because, you know, I mean, they have Utah, which should be a decent team. Illinois looks to be a pretty good team. You know, the bragging rights game is always a given. It just comes down to how good is Illinois. And, you know, in the past few years, it hasn't really been a resume win. This year, it should be, given everything Illinois brings back. And, uh, of course, they're in the, the Kansas City tournament over the Sprint, uh, the Sprint Center, which has some some Power 5 teams. You know, Stanford. Um, i trying to remember who else is in there off the top of my head. Uh, but B Butler and Oklahoma. Yeah, so th those wouldn't be bad resume wins either for them. So I, I just think that the the path is there for them to make the NCAA tournament, and they, you know, that I don't know what the excuse is this year if they don't just because you know the past few years they've been without their best player. This is a much deeper team. They have some experience in guys like Drew Smith and Mark Smith now that are they're upperclassmen essentially, and you know I, I think the biggest determining factor this season is going to be what do we get with Jeremiah Tillman do we see a, a Jeremiah Tillman you know he's halfway through his college career do we see him finally fix the foul troubles I mean it's you know I remember at the Advocare Invitational Conzo's first season at Disney World uh a, assistant coach from a big 12 team came up to me and said Jeremiah Tillman is an NBA prospect whenever he figures out the foul troubles he only cut down by 10 from his freshman with sophomore, I, I don't know about you, Blair. I lean to you on this. I don't think that's that much of an improvement. You know, and I, I think the eye test is a big thing too, obviously. But if the whistle blows, the whistle blows. You know what I mean? And if he figures it out and and can stay in the game a long time, I think that this is a team that could make its way into the second weekend. But if it's not, you know that I think he's the biggest. X factor for this team, and and he hasn't shown, given a lot of reason to think that he's going to figure it out. No, I'm going to tell you, uh, reach reach fouls twenty five feet feet from the basket when you've already when you have two and it's early in the second half. Those are the types of fouls that just kill Tillman. Not the you know not the the bang bang plays. It was the the dumb plays that uh, that he had to learn from. And I, I just think being on a better team is going to help him this season. And he's a year older, just a year smarter. I agree with you. I think this is a Missouri team when we see the projections come out. I don't know if it's, it's not a preseason top 25 team, but I think you'll see them in some NCAA tournament projections. And uh, and, and it'll be, you know, it'll it'll be good to see because it's I, I think we, we agree that uh, 
Uh, Conzo Martin did a terrific job his first year with the with the Porter injury, and then it was um, he, things caught up with the, the the program last year, and was not able not able to overcome the second Porter injury. Um, hopefully that 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 won't be as as much a factor this year, and uh, we'll have um, you know we'll have a team healthy most of the season, ready to go. And and I do think I, I do think that this this has a chance to be a you know an NCAA tournament team. Okay, Alex. With that, uh, we will get out of here and um, and let you get back to your um, uh, to your prep for the NBA draft on Thursday in Brooklyn, and then from there off to Wilmington, Delaware, to check out the Royals' um, high class A affiliate in the Carolina League, the the Blue Rocks of Wilmington. So, Alex, uh, safe travels, and we will see you again soon. Thank you for having me, Blair. Always a pleasure. Links to the stories we discussed can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com and read all of Alex Schiffer's Missouri coverage in the print editions of the Kansas City Star. Thanks to producers Kathy Liu and Leah Becerra, you've been listening to Sportsbeat KC, sports podcast presented by the Kansas City Star, and we'll be back soon to talk Kansas City sports.